Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about learning to say no and set boundaries to live our best lives. I'm your host, Heather Drago. You may think because of this podcast that I'm a boundary-setting expert, but I'm not. I'm an expert at struggling to set boundaries. But you know what? I'm working on it, and it is getting easier. Follow along with me as I learn from fellow strugglers and experts so that you too can start saying no without feeling fear, guilt, or FOMO. Maybe a few weeks or a month ago, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, I think that's how you say her name, announced that she's resigning. She's not running for re-election. And this sent shockwaves around the world and caused a whole bunch of people to theorize about why. You know, was it her was it to help her party because they're ranking low in recent public opinion polls? Was it because of constant vilification she was facing and the toxicity of today's political climate and social media where leaders are attacked by those who don't agree with them? Was it exhaustion after shepherding her country through major traumatic events, including the pandemic and a mass shooting in a New Zealand mosque? Was it because she's a mom of a young baby and she's simply exhausted? Is it even possible for women to, quote unquote, do it all? Don't even get me started on that one. That drives me crazy. But anyway, you know what I say? I say, good on you, Jacinda. You know, maybe some of all that stuff is true, but honestly, who the hell cares? She recognized that the role of prime minister isn't serving her anymore. And because of that, she couldn't offer her best to her country. So she quit. I read a few quotes from her in the news, um, things like, I am human. Politicians are human. We give all that we can for as long as we can, and then it's time. And for me, it's time. And another one, she said that she'd slept soundly, quote unquote, for the first time in a long time. And when asked, she said, of course I feel sad, but also I do have a sense of relief. So in contrast, 
let's talk about John Fetterman, who is a newly elected U.S. senator from Pennsylvania. So you may recall during his campaign, he suffered a major stroke and he had to take a break and step away from his campaign. But then he carried on and he eventually won. You know, I know from my experience with cancer during the pandemic that it's it's easier to slow down and set boundaries when you're right in the midst of a medical emergency. People understand because, you know, it's a big deal. It's a, the big C word or a, a stroke. That's really scary stuff. And people give you a little more room, right? It's harder to say no when your health issues aren't as obvious or whatever it is you're dealing with isn't so obvious. Um so, you know, it's very, very common after strokes and heart attacks for people to suffer suffer clinical depression. And it, it's exacerbated or more likely to happen when people don't take care of themselves or set boundaries. And so guess what happened? <laughs> he just was just reported like a few days ago that he recently admitted himself into the hospital for treatment of clinical depression. And then, you know, I read some articles about this and listened, you know, to some news reports. And, you know, everyone was saying that um, he was just going nonstop. He wanted this job so badly and he wanted to do such a good job that he's attended every committee hearing, every event he's been asked to go to, every meeting. Um, other Congress people, he's kind of like this oddball guy. He's super tall. He's not like a normal politician. So he's kind of a little bit like a celebrity. And other Congress people were like chasing him down in the hallways, wanting to get to know him or take selfies with him. And he would, you know, honor every single request. He was working super long hours every single day, living in D.C. away from his family. Um, and he he basically didn't give himself any room. He didn't set any boundaries and he wore himself out. So it's really no surprise that now he's facing, you know, pretty serious situation. You know, I am so glad he asked for help. And I just want to mention that, you know, there is no shame in asking for help. Asking for help is not giving up. It's refusing to give up. So, you know, we just talked about someone who decided on her own, I need to step away. Someone who didn't set boundaries and ha now has is forced to stop um, and take care of himself. But this is these both of these stories are really good reminders that you know it can be really really hard to quit big things. Why? Because we're people pleasers. We don't want to let people down. We're Type A achievers. We think that if we just grit our teeth and grind through it, we can do it. Because who could possibly do it better? Um, again, type A's, we have this idea of what our future should be. And if we quit, we might miss out on all those big plans or other potential opportunities. And we're afraid and ashamed. You know, we don't want to look like failures to other people. But here's the thing. If something's not serving you and you're doing it, even though you don't have the resources, passion or energy to do it, then you can't serve it either. You're not going to be able to give it your best. And most importantly, you are human, not superhuman. Humans need rest. Rest isn't a reward that's earned only once you've completed tasks X, Y, and Z in a way that pleases others. As our friend Sarah Saunders has said, you are a human being, not a human doing. I've had to quit some pretty big things in my life. I am an art school dropout. I actually proudly declare that all the time now. But for a long time, I was really ashamed of it. 
And the reason I'm an art school dropout is because I had a health crisis. Honestly, I had a mental health crisis and I needed to get health insurance and take care of myself. Um, so I had to get a job, you know, and it was probably the best decision I made. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here today. Many years ago, I founded a nonprofit. For five years, I worked full time for free trying to start this nonprofit, restored a historic building, started an art center in my town, you know, talked to the governor of the state of Ohio to get funding. Like it was a big deal. It was a very high profile thing. And eventually my health was damaged. I had a migraine for like two years um, and I, I finally had to step away. And I was so ashamed. I literally like hid from members of my community. I wouldn't go places where I knew people who knew who I was and what I had been doing for those five years. Like, I literally wouldn't go to the library. I would, like, wear a hoodie and hide myself. Like, I was so embarrassed and so ashamed and felt like such a failure. And it just took me a while to get over that. And eventually it was because I would run into people and they would say, you know, how are you? Are you okay? And there was no shame. There was no judgment. There was, I mean, they just saw me as a human. And yes, this didn't work out. And, you know, am I okay now? So... With art school, too, like I was afraid to stay connected to the arts community because I was so embarrassed and ashamed that I had to leave school. But as I said, it was the best thing I've ever done for myself. So I get this like fear of quitting big things. But sometimes it's the really the only solution when your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health, whatever, is um, failing. Because sometimes these big things uh, are too much and we need to learn how to say no. So big things are little things. It is absolutely necessary in order to live a healthy, happy, fulfilling life to say no and set boundaries. And yes, I know sometimes we can't just say no to everyone and everything. But believe it or not, you have more control over the direction of your life than you think you do. You just need to learn how to say no. Today I'm talking with Lisa Johnson, a veteran high conflict divorce coach specializing in legal abuse. She's also a certified domestic violence advocate with firsthand experience navigating a horrific divorce. Lisa is also the author of the recently published book, Been There, Got Out, Toxic Relationships, High Conflict Divorce, and How to Stay Sane Under Insane Circumstances. We'll be discussing healthy boundaries in relationships, red flags to look for, how to protect yourself, and necessary no's in high-stakes situations. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for coming on That's a Hard No. Oh, my pleasure. As I mentioned, your expertise in this field is at least partially informed by your own difficult situation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I was um, married for 18 years and together for 20 with my ex. And when it finally became more painful to stay than to go, I decided that it was time to end it. Um, We had two kids together. And so I started the divorce process and I thought we'd be done. Um, very quickly. It's felt like it was going to be amicable. Uh, It just seemed like there were, um, there were some issues that I just thought, okay, he's still, he's still a good person. He just did some bad things. Mm -hmm. And 
we are nine years out and I am still in the legal system dealing with him. The divorce took a year and $100,000. And in these past nine years, I've been successfully representing myself for six. I've been to court about a hundred times in two states. My case is case law in Connecticut. Um, My ex appealed four times and I'm not an attorney, but I beat his attorney. And um, it was notable enough to be published in the Connecticut Law Journal, which is really unusual for a pro se. Uh, He then, after four years of not complying with the late, the some of the later orders, when he had to pay, I got served papers that he was suing my partner and I for $4 million in defamation in civil court. And so we luckily were able to get that dismissed on our own. Um, and then we have this, you know, this book ad. And then I also helped because of my whole experience of dealing with the court system, um, I got involved with uh, giving live testimony for something called Jennifer's Law, which passed and made Connecticut the third state in America to expand its legal definition of domestic violence to include something called coercive control, which includes legal abuse, which is when somebody weaponizes the court system to keep someone still engaged in the relationship. So. Yeah, there's a oh lot. Oh my goodness. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about Jennifer's Law and why it's so important and in, in like how people are harmed? Okay, so Jennifer's Law is based on um, two Jennifers who represent anyone who's been involved in something like this. They were both murdered by their exes. Jennifer Dulos is presumed to, to have been murdered. Her body hasn't been found. Um, it's been a lot of publicity about it. Her her ex-husband, they, they were involved in a high conflict divorce slash custody thing. And um, unfortunately, in the process, her her ex-husband murdered her. His girlfriend was involved, business associate, anyway. Um, and then another Jennifer named Jennifer Magnano, maybe like 12 or 13 years ago, who also had gotten away with her three children and was pulled back to Connecticut to go through um, some, you know, the legal, the legal system with her ex and her ex-husband shot and killed her in front of their kids on the front step. So Jennifer's Law is named for that. So Jennifer's Law basically, and again, Connecticut's the third state so far. We think Colorado last night just also passed coercive control laws, but California and Hawaii, and it makes the courts look at things besides physical abuse, specifically when looking at um, safety issues like restraining orders and custody situations. So instead of just physical, which everyone thinks, oh, if it's physical, then it's abuse. Now people are looking at emotional abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, legal abuse, stalking, isolation, like other things that weren't really paid attention to so that they can get a broader picture of what exactly is is going on in the relationship and make more appropriate decisions. Wow, wow, wow. That is just, I'm amazed this law still has to be passed. Like, what year is it? (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. Well, I'm so glad that you're fighting for this. And um, thank God there are people like you working on it. (laughs) Um, And I'm sorry to hear about this nine-year court battle. What what an atrocious strain this must be. I mean, good Lord. Yeah, it is. But, you know, as I've been told, I've been able to turn my mess into my message. And I feel like I've gotten the most incredible education in the trenches. 
And that's what makes my partner and I, Chris, he's the male half, have been there, got out. I'm so good at what we do because we've been there. We still have both feet in the, I do, both feet in the legal system because I'm not completely done yet. Um, but we're, we're, I'm so farther, so much farther along. And I've learned so much along the way from mm-hmm. dozens and dozens and dozens of court appearances, being up against um, a couple of very difficult attorneys, not being an attorney and still prevailing. I mean, in mm-hmm. almost pretty much every way, except in that it takes so long to get enforcement on orders, which is a huge problem in the family court system. Wow. Wow. So let's back up a minute um, before we get to the the divorce or separation. Um, let's say you discover you're kind of in a toxic relationship. You know, what advice do you have for people about you know navigating a toxic relationship that seems to be spiraling downwards or getting you know volatile? One of the very interesting things is that most people don't realize that they're in a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. unless there's physical abuse, because the way emotional abuse happens, which is the most common thing, is it's it's very slow and insidious. And so people don't, it's just like something feels wrong for a while or things don't really make sense. And that's why it's often when we get out of those relationships that it's like, that was crazy. Like, why was I living with that? I mean, for me, it was half my life. I got together with my ex when I was 23. So I thought things were normal. And one of the things that abusers do is they groom someone from the very beginning. My ex was seven years older than me. And when we first got together, he was like, oh, you know, relationships are hard and this is how things are. And being who I was, I just believed him. And so as things got progressively worse or didn't make sense, I thought, oh, well, this is just part of marriage. Mm -hmm. So I never questioned And so that's something that I think people really, one of the things I've learned um, is to, is to really pay attention to how you feel. If something feels wrong, Mm -hmm. um, look a little further into it. When, When I was still married, people, we didn't really use Google that much, but now people are discovering that they're in a toxic relationship by Googling, like, why, what this behavior, like, what does this mean? That's how many people figure out, oh, I'm with someone who seems kind of narcissistic, or this is actually, this does count as abuse, even though I didn't know what that is. There's a term I learned after called lying by omission, which I'd never heard. And I thought, oh, that's what it is. Like my ex had a double life and was doing all kinds of things behind my back. And I, when I talked about it, one of my friends was like, yeah, but is that abuse if you didn't know about it? Which is a really interesting question because for someone to be lying your, for 20 years of your life and doing all kinds of things beside behind your back, that you are affected by that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was called. And by, by doing that, it is abuse because I didn't have the agency to make decisions for myself because I didn't know what was going on. So, um, in terms of, again, what you said, if someone realizes they're in a toxic relationship, um, a very, an excellent free resource, which I also didn't know about, was to get in touch with your local domestic violence center, just to get some clarity. It's free. People are trained in all the different types of abuse that you might not even understand you're dealing with. And they can start getting you to question things and maybe um, give you some ideas on 
what's going on and why, because it takes, a, it, it's very hard to come out of denial. Like things often are normalized. Like I said, where you don't think anything's wrong because you're so used to it. And people don't talk about domestic abuse. I, in my head thought, oh, well, I don't think I'm like a battered woman. So I think the domestic violence center, that's for, that's for people who are like regularly getting beaten right. up. And only a year and nine months after my ex had moved out of the house when he was parking the car in our neighborhood and sitting there and my neighbors were like, something's wrong. I talked to a friend of mine who was a police officer who said, you know, you really need to have the police come that you're probably in danger because, and I said, oh, but he moved out. You know, it's funny. He said, yeah, but the fact that he's still parked in front of your house has no contact with the kids. It's been a year and nine months. He lives in another state. That's really bad. And yeah. when they came and did what's called a lethal assessment um, screening, they were like, you're in like serious danger. And so they that's what got me in touch with the Domestic Violence Center. And I was like, it just, that changed my life because I didn't yeah. understand what I was dealing with. That's a really good point. You know, violence comes in many forms. You know, it comes in speech, it comes in control, it comes in all kinds of things. And um, I want to put a plug in. Every state has a domestic violence um alliance or association and then there are so they will have a list of all the local centers one of my friends clients and they've been guests on this show are the ohio alliance to end sexual violence they also have resources and they can connect you with domestic violence resources so uh yeah every state has some sort of umbrella organization and then can connect you with local resources right and it's free i mean yes during the during the divorce separate like everything costs money but that's something that's free. <laughs> that's the one so know about free. that. Go, go there first. Yeah, yeah. And they're just amazing people, honestly. Yeah. They're doing angels work. Um, it's like when you're in a situation like that, it's like the, the frog in the boiling water analogy, right? Like you don't yeah. know what's happening. And I talk about that a lot, like when depression comes in, rolls it. Like sometimes when you're just in the thick of something, it's just hard to recognize it. It's hard to remember a time when you weren't in that situation or or you're only seeing it through that lens. And so just having that outside, an outside person to talk to, just, is this normal? Something doesn't feel right. Am I, am I wrong? You know, like just, even if it's just talking to somebody. Yeah, and one of the most um, difficult questions that people like, like I've gotten and other, you know, our whole community get is, well, why didn't you leave sooner? You mentioned the frog in the pot. When someone is is abusive, you, that doesn't start from the beginning of the relationship. Right. That slowly creeps in. In the beginning, they do something called love bombing often, yes. where they make you feel great about yourself. That's the beginning. So who would ever get involved with an abusive person if you knew it? And then slowly there's what's called the devaluation phase when they start cutting you you down. And that's and then things get just progressively worse. And so often our brains try to reach back and say, what can we do to get back those good old days? Like, oh, things were so great in the beginning. And as things get worse and worse and worse, you just keep having this hope. I mean, hope is a thing that destroys us because we keep thinking that it's going to go back to something that was always an illusion in the first place. Yeah. What boundaries should be made to maintain healthy relationships and to try to avoid conflicts or manipulation? (laughs) That's a big question. I know, but that's what we're talking about here on this I podcast. Know. All right, I'm going to give you, I'll, I'll give a simple boundary exercise in the very, very beginning, how to sniff out a toxic person. 
So one thing you can do is when you start, let's say, dating someone and then um, things seem fine, watch what they do when you say no. So for example, you've been getting together like often and then they say, oh, can you come to this thing on Saturday night? Come to this party. Just sit, try saying, I, I, I can't do it. I can't, I, no, I can't do it. See how they respond. If they accept it and say, okay, good, we'll get together another time, then, mm-hmm. then good. That's generally a good sign. But if the person is like, why, why, like, what's wrong? Are you sick? I'm going to come over and bring you flowers. Like, what's the, you know, or getting upset. Like, well, what? that's toxic. Yeah. Don't you love me? Don't you want to be with me? Right. I want to spend yeah, time like, with you. Are you, yeah. are you with somebody else? What are you right, doing? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So watch what happens when they, when you say no, mm-hmm. putting up that very simple boundary, mm-hmm. someone who can't accept no, because you have a right to your own life. You don't have to do everything that they want to do. If they can't accept it, watch out. I think you can literally say no if you just don't want to. Right. Like you just don't feel like it. You're tired. Like you shouldn't have to give it a reason. I'm just not feeling it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a really good simple. I think relationship education is so important from the beginning. And unfortunately, our culture uh, romanticizes really toxic behavior. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's like that Nicholas Sparks book that was turned into a movie, The Notebook, where there's like a carousel thing and the, the, the guy just keeps pursuing the girl and she's like, no, 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 no. And he keeps pursuing it. It's like, oh, and they end up together. Like if someone keeps pursuing you and you're saying no, 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 that means no. It's not right. like a, it's, it's not like a like a, the person's great because they wouldn't accept your no. That's someone who kept breaking boundaries. That's unhealthy relationship behavior. I know the old song from when I grew up by the police, like every breath you take, that's a stalker song. It's creepy. It's creepy. Let's face it. Right. I think think, um, a lot of it depends on just having critical thinking skills and paying attention to your gut. Like, does this feel wrong? Another Mm -hmm. example I think about with people is texting. Mm. How does somebody respond if you don't respond immediately back with texting? My daughter's in college and she'll talk about how sometimes someone will get like really angry and not just romantic interests, but friends where it's like, why aren't you answering me? What are you doing? Like, that's not healthy behavior. That's someone that you might not want to be involved with. Agreed. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. You decide to make a separation. 
decide, okay, this is not working for me. What boundaries should be immediately made to best protect ourselves? My brain is always with toxic relationships because that's my world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if this would be considered a a boundary, but this is something that's important. And that's called safety planning and exit planning. And that can be done. There's checklists online. But again, because I'm a state certified domestic violence advocate now myself, you can do it for free with someone. But they go through all of the things you need to consider when you are exiting a relationship, Mm -hmm. even whether whether or not you have children, um, pets should be thought about. Like what what can you do to exit and stay safe and, and keep those boundaries um, mm-hmm. And it depends on if there's danger or not. But before leaving, you should you should always consider like what kind of person am I dealing with? Are they gonna let me go um, peacefully, mm-hmm. or is this going to be a problem? And in my world, it's always a problem. And so people really need to consider the details of like how am I gonna get away? Not like you need to flee in secret and things like that, but because so many of our clients are dealing with custody issues. One big thing we say to start thinking about is what's going to happen with the kids. Let's start thinking about what's best for the kids and start Mm -hmm. putting together what's called a parenting plan. Because often, like in my case, our people are in court for years and you can't really afford to wait until a decision is made. Let's start figuring out how things are going to look, how things are going to work from the very beginning before we even leave leave the relationship. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. another thing that um, I'm going to be interviewing an attorney about in a couple of weeks is because financial issues are a big part of our people's world where people are dependent on the other person financially, how, if I leave, what is my plan in terms of living on my own financially? Do I need to borrow money? Do I need to start socking money away ahead of time? Do I have a job? If I don't have a job, what can I do to start building like a a path towards getting a job or getting an education, something, but everything has to be thought of it. I don't think it's ever smart for people to just rush out in the night. You know, sometimes that's unavoidable. And that's one thing connected with safety planning is often they'll do two different plans. One, if it's an emergency and you do have to rush out in the night, it's almost like if you're going to have a baby, do you have a bag ready to go? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have to rush out, how can you slowly start getting ready to leave this relationship, whether you live together or not? Often things just have to be divided, dissipated, and can you start doing things beforehand? In my marketing career, I've worked with several nonprofits, um, and there was one that I won't name that supported people in the cycle of violence. And I remember we had to make a business card that had a phone number on it and we couldn't say it was for this center. It w- so we made it like for a clothing boutique, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, as you're talking about checklists and making a plan, my my, I go into fear like, okay, well, what if that gets found? Like, so um, I guess my question is, um, you know, where can... we talked about the domestic violence center, but like, do you have any advice relating to that or other resources people can reach out to or, or, or just like, how do you do that? If you, if you feel like you're in a dangerous situation, like if someone's going to find out what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So with things like that, we talk about that a lot too. Mm -hmm. Um, you want to try and get whatever you can and keep it out of the house. Um, 
put it like with a, a trusted house. friend or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't want to have like often part of safety planning involves getting all your documents, like your passport, birth certificates, kids, things, um, financial information. You don't want to keep it in the house. I, I did have a friend who made a hole in her wall and like shoved it in the wall. But wow. if you can like leave it somewhere else, that's that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people with money, people will buy gift cards slowly and like stash those aside so that they have money to use once they're out because often the person is tracking them. Mm. Um, that's another type of abuse that course of control is, is like digital abuse where they're watching and following everything like that. Um, so that's, you know, that's something that to consider is like you want, there's, there's apps and things. I don't know any off the top of my head where people do organize information and it's encrypted. There's an email. We have a chapter in our book about, um, mm-hmm. safety and security. And I also do a series with um, a man named Vance Long, we just started where it's all about like cybersecurity and your router and just just protecting oh, great. yourself. Digital is a huge thing that you need to make sure, um, right. you know, you protect yourself with. Yeah. Well, we'll put links to your website and everything so people can find those resources. Tell us more about your book. Oh, a book. Okay. So it just came out officially last uh, month in March. It's called Been There, Got Out. Toxic Relationships, High Conflict, Divorce, and How to Stay Sane Under Insane Circumstances. So um, it's really a, a guidebook for people. We call, we have all kinds of names. We call babies <laughs> are the people at the very beginning of the process and grizzled veterans like me who have been in the system for a long time. So we talk a lot about, um, we, we get very little, like we start with our own stories and how you know the male and female, because Chris is my partner in real life, We've been together for eight years and but we both came out of long long-term toxic marriages and we both have kids with our exes so we briefly talk about our own little stories but then we get into the nuts and bolts of what to expect how to choose the right attorney what to expect from the relationship the different players in the family court system why these cases need to be approached differently and our goal really is empowerment through education like people always complain about how family court is a broken system and it is, but there's so many things you can do to mm-hmm. strengthen your case and to operate effectively within that system. And I can say that because I've experienced it. It is very frustrating. The wheels of justice turn very slowly. Often it's super expensive and you have to keep going back again and again and again before the truth comes out and before you get your orders enforced, but the book really um, gets into all that. It goes into a little bit about what we teach with our clients in terms of learning how to target their documentation, learning how to present properly, whether it's to a custody evaluator, a mediator, a judge, to their own lawyer. Um, We do more than anything, something called strategic communication, which basically builds the foundation for their case in writing. Uh, it's when they're writing to their ex, like how to how to do that properly, knowing mm-hmm. that this is going to become part of a court record because our clients are always in court for years. So, yeah. um, but these are all skills that people learn and they become empowered. And a hashtag that a friend of mine thought of is from puddle to ninja because she said people <laughs> people show up on our doorstep and they're like a mess and they're like oh, I'm out of this relationship, yeah. I don't know what to do. And we're like, we're going to turn you into a warrior. It's going to take time. And part of what we do. One of the perks that our clients have is something called the weekly legal abuse support group. 
So we meet every Sunday from 12 to 1.30 Eastern time. I think it's the only one in the world like it. And we basically strategize. And then the bigger issues that we work on, since many of our people have children, is how are my kids going to be okay through not just this process, but Mm -hmm. a parent like that, if they have an abuser as a parent, because we know that an abuser isn't just abusive to one person. Right. And often when that one person is taken away, they turn on the kids in a variety of ways. So how do we deal with that? And also how do you effectively co-parent or parallel parent with someone who's so difficult? Because that's what society expects and that's the court expects. So we teach, we teach people how to deal with that. And when you're with other people that you don't have to explain like, yes, this is really happening. It's just very validating. Well, that's amazing. I, I'm just so impressed by uh, your wealth of knowledge and and what you do. And I'm going to read your book, even though I'm not in that kind of situation. I'm, I'm sure there's some knowledge I can glean to pay it forward. Thank you. We'll definitely link to your website, your book, your Instagram, all that good stuff so people can find you. Um, thank you so much, Lisa. It's been fantastic. You know, I met you on like a networking Zoom call. And immediately when I met you, I was like, holy cow, this is someone my listeners have to meet. So I'm so glad you agreed to do this and shared your information. And we'd love to have you back sometime. Oh, absolutely. Well, same with you, Heather. And then when you told me the the title of your podcast, I was like, oh, that's- Yeah, we both looked at each other with our mouths open like, what? Yeah, Yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah, Yeah, it's been my pleasure and hopefully someone will learn something. Great, thank you so much. You're welcome. Like I mentioned last week, we're switching up our format a little and adding some new kinds of content. We're going to start putting out a monthly mailbag episode where you get to share finding your nose, whether they feel like a win or like a flop, and we'll answer your questions. If I don't know how to respond, I'll reach out to our friends and experts and get you some answers. In case you missed it, we're starting a book club. Our first book is No, How to Stop Saying Yes When You Can't, You Shouldn't, or You Just Don't Want To by Sarah Knight. She's also known for the life-changing magic of not giving a f- and other no f- given guide books. We'll put a link to the book on our website, but you might also be able to find it at your local library or independent bookstore. In a few weeks, we'll announce when we'll discuss the book, and we're hoping to have a fun panel of guests to share their feedback. I hope you'll join in. Got questions or a boundary-setting success story or flop? It's easy to get in touch with us. Send an email through our website, hardnopodcast.com, DM us on social, we're at Hard No Podcast, or leave a message at 216-370-3410. We'll be featuring some of our favorite questions and messages in future mailbag episodes, so get in touch. You can find show notes and a transcript of today's episode on our website, hardnopodcast.com. Make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any new episodes. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a rating and review, especially on Apple, so others can find us too. That's a Hard No is a production of Clever Girl Marketing, my strategic marketing agency based here in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. You can learn all about us at clevergirlmarketing.com. It's written by me, Heather Drago, and our amazing marketing and production coordinator, Mara Del Rosario. Production support, Evergreen Podcast, Noah Fouts, producer and editor extraordinaire. Our awesome new rock anthem, 
was written by Noah and performed by his band, The Big Leagues. I love it so much. Thank you, Noah. We've added some new folks to the team. Shout out to Ink Factory, the incredibly talented team of artists who've partnered with us to produce our animated video clips. You can find them at inkfactorystudio.com. And last but not least, Jake Donnelly, the videographer and photographer who's the creative force behind our YouTube videos. You demand, Jake. You can find him at rjdonnelly.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no! Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.